This, this is the Second Second Story Podcast. Welcome back to the Second Story Podcast. I'm Max Spitz. This week, we're releasing the episode a bit early because of Thanksgiving, and we wanted to celebrate the holiday with an apt story. In this week's story, teller Elena McLaurin shares a somewhat harrowing series of events from her final year of college. In it, she experiences the difficulties in asking for and accepting help, and the incredible relief in setting aside your pride and simply saying thanks. Recorded live at Haymarket Pub and Brewery in Chicago in October 2023, Second Story is proud to present LLR. As you all know, over the last few years, there's been a mass exodus of teachers in education. And if you listen to their stories, almost all of them, myself included, struggled with not having enough support. I mean, you start to wonder why you even continue to do what you do. So sometimes it's nice to be reminded. It was a little overcast in Kirksville, Missouri that fine September afternoon, but I was feeling pretty optimistic as I finished washing my dinner dishes in my squat duplex apartment. See, I'd successfully completed a month of college with no textbooks. And after talking to the financial aid lady earlier that morning, she was 90% sure that my refund check, uh, that's the money you get after it's applied to your tuition and stuff, uh, would be in by the end of the week. This was the money I waited on each semester that allowed me to pay my rent and utilities. And with my mom trying to support two kids at college and pay a mortgage by herself, I felt it was my responsibility to take as much off her plate as I could. Four years and six hours away from home in Chicago had taught me plenty about dealing with everything that a young adult had to contend with when living on one's own. But as I snuggled into my favorite soft swivel chair to watch a little TV, I was not prepared, however, for the huge ass rat staring at me from the doorway of my kitchen. Immediate thoughts. What the hell is that? <laughs> Holy shit, I think that's a rat. Oh my God, there's a freaking rat in my apartment. Oh, you laugh now. But you imagine a Missouri corn-fed rat staring at you <laughs> from the kitchen where you just ate dinner. I remember getting up slowly, moving towards my bedroom, cartoon villain style, prompting senior rat to scurry back into my kitchen. I quickly grabbed my book bag, phone, and car keys before swiftly exiting my apartment. My landlord, John, was a full-time farmer, part-time landlord, who, uh, who loved overalls and apparently guns because when he showed up to my apartment exiting an old Ford pickup, he carried a dirty, hairy type gun into my apartment. So did you get him? I asked when he emerged 10 minutes later. Oh no, he probably ran out when he heard all the commotion. He said, sauntering back to his truck, but wait, I, thanks. I said as my landlord waved, putt-putting out of my gravel driveway. 
At that point, I could really only put together a couple of coherent thoughts. One, I can't live here. And two, my bank account balance is $6.28. So a hotel is out of the question. I decided to go to the Multicultural Affairs Center, a large Victorian home turned office building known as the MAC, Multicultural Affairs Center, <laughs> to work out a logical solution to my problems. Sitting in the industrial gray parlor turned study room, I hunched over a spiral notebook trying to figure out where I could unearth some cash when Miss Bertha came downstairs from her office. Miss Bertha, a short African-American woman, was the director of multicultural affairs at Truman State University. So I always kind of thought about her like the old woman in the shoe, except her shoe was the Mac and her kids were students from all over the world. I'm gone for the day you need anything, she said, hitching a canvas work bag over her long hippie dress. She was too cute. I was confident I'd figure out my problems on my own, so I shook my head no. Well, there's leftover food in la uh, from last month's orientation picnic in the freezer if you get hungry. Mm, security will probably come around in about 45 minutes. Don't work too hard. Okay, I said as she departed. Like I said, Miss Bertha was always looking out for us, even when she didn't have to. As the Mac slowly emptied, looking down at my worn family reunion t-shirt and jeans, I wondered what I'd wear tomorrow as I was, effectively, homeless. I quickly whipped out my mental Rolodex of free resources and just decided to bunk down in the performance hall where I worked rolling out pianos and unlocking doors for music majors a few times a week. Problem solved. A couple of days later, I looked rough with my head and a headscarf, dark circles under my eyes and a sore hip. FYI, two plastic chairs pushed together does not equal a bed. And seeing as though my refund check still hadn't arrived, I'd taken to eating said orientation food from the Mac, which consisted of nothing but Boca burgers for two days straight. <sighs> this is really happening. I thought while sitting on a soft couch in the fine arts lobby. Hey Earl, are you okay? My friend Michelle asked as she passed through the lobby. No, I'm not. I said, hiding my face in my hands. Michelle dropped a jean book bag onto the marble floor before joining me on the couch as I explained the situation to her, quickly adding almost inaudibly, and I've been sleeping in the performance hall. Oh, come stay with me. I have a couch and I'll cook you a good meal. Oh, I didn't like that my inability to figure out my life was that transparent and I sure as hell didn't like her kindness because it was a big old reflection of my failure. No, I'm fine, I said drying off my face. I'm waiting to hear back from one of my friends in Missouri Hall. I'll probably bunk there, I lied. Michelle eyed me warily as she grabbed her book bag. Okay, but you have my cell phone number if she doesn't get back to you, right? Yeah. See? 
Everyone recognizes, recognizes that each person has to find their way on their own. I thought right before things got much worse. While calling my landlord for a rodent update, I mentioned that I wouldn't be coming back to my apartment until the rat was caught or a more thorough search was done. I thought this was reasonable. Prompting the, well, you know you'd be breaking your lease and therefore jeopardizing your security deposit conversation, creating the new problem of what the hell am I gonna do without that money, which really put me in a great mental place when I checked my grades online uh, at the library and saw that I was slowly failing linguistics my last degree requirement due to not being able to afford the textbook. But nothing could top off the moment coming from my theater studies class when I felt my stomach start to cramp and not from the Boca Burger I'd eaten earlier that day. After running over to the Mac, I remember standing in the all-white unisex bathroom praying hard that my period would not come. Frozen Boca Burgers, I can take. Sleeping in the damn performance hall, I could take. Not having money to buy tampons would break me. I avoided a feminine catastrophe that day, but I sure as hell wasn't gonna stay around for another one to pop up. So that afternoon, sitting in the Mac, barely able to even breathe, I decided to drop out of college. My eyes burned as I snagged an empty computer in the study room. I was eight months shy of getting my bachelor's degree, and in a week, I'd somehow lost everything. I'll be back in the spring, overload on my classes, and graduate as planned. I told myself as I typed the email to all of my professors explaining with little detail my decision to withdraw for the semester. As I started typing out a moving slash to-do list, I actually felt that sour knot of shame that it formed in my throat start to loosen. At least now I'll have more than Boca Burgers to eat, I thought, as I continued to type. 15 minutes later, I get an email from Bertha. My sociology professor had forwarded her my email and Bertha wanted to meet ASAP. No way was I about to engage in the, oh, what happened? So sorry to hear that pity party. Been there, done that. Um, no, thank you, I thought. But then my guilty conscience kicked in. Bertha had always been really nice to me. The least I could do was give her this courtesy, I thought, trudging up the stairs to her office. Slouched across from her desk. I eyed Bertha warily through a tower of folders, papers, and colorful little knickknacks. So what's going on? She said with a sickeningly sweet smile, laced with just enough pity to strangle what little self-respect I had left. <laughs> so I quickly ran through everything. When I finished, she paused for a moment, grabbed a yellow pad of paper, and said, so what can I do for you? Was this a joke? Did she not just hear everything I'd said? So of course you can't go back to your apartment, can't have that. But I know part of Brewer Hall is empty. I'm sure I can get the Res Life director to let me borrow a room for a week, she said, scribbling down a note. 
But even if I stay, how am I going to eat? I said that familiar sour lump of shame reforming in my throat. As it is, I've been eating off the frozen orientation food for a week, dropping my face to hide a couple little tears. Bertha, however, didn't blink. I can get you some of those vouchers, meal vouchers we give prospective students when they visit, she said with more scribbling. For a whole week? Uh, Miss Bertha, I appreciate the help, but I think it'd be best if I just regrouped at home for a while. I mean, what if I can't find an apartment in a week or it takes longer? Then I'll extend your stay until you can. I, I wanted to ask her why she was doing all of this for me, but then I remembered I still had one rather expensive problem. But I don't have any books. Bertha responded by picking up the phone and dialing a number. After a hushed conversation, she hung up and said, okay, so I just talked to the bookstore manager, John. I've given him your name, but he still needs your ID to uh, pull up your schedule to get your books. So when you go down there, make sure you tell him that I sent you so that he can charge it to my department. Now, you know that ugly cry that happens when it comes out so hard, your chest hurts and you can't breathe? Yeah, I started doing that because I couldn't fathom why this woman was doing this for me and for that matter what I could possibly give her to say thank you. I thought as Miss Bertha handed me a tissue and then the whole box. You, you, you don't have to do that, it's too much. She reached a small hand through a sea of papers on her desk and patted mine gently. My job is to help the students of this university. You're a student at this university, right? Yeah, but I, I, I should have done better to, to what? To make a check come that you have no control over to live with rats? Sometimes life just happens. I've seen you working with all those plays and studying hard. It's my pleasure, really. She said with a smile that was no longer sickeningly sweet, but almost serene. It, it, it was like she was happier than I was. All I do need is for you to take this time to find yourself an apartment and hit them books so I can see you graduate in May. She reviewed her notes before picking up the phone again. I looked out her second floor window and though it was late in the in the afternoon the sun was so bright it was almost hazy shining into her office and I realized that teaching and learning it was more about it was about more than being a good or responsible student that education must be about supporting a student's whole being it's been 20 years since I sat in Ms. Bertha's office and had that epiphany, and I've struggled in education. But I've also perfected my own serene smile of healing as a teacher, as a paraprofessional, as a technology specialist, as a trainer, as anything it takes to empower students to never give up.
This story was produced by Christine Thorin, curated by Julie Ganey, and directed by Liz Rice. Music was by Young Woo and sound engineering by Mike Benedict. The Second Story Podcast is produced by Max Spitz. To be the first to hear about updates and new episodes, sign up for our podcast listserv at 2ndstory.com podcast, or subscribe to the Second Story Podcast on SoundCloud or Apple Podcasts. Second Story is located in the traditional homelands of the Council of the Three Fires, the Odawa, Ojibwe, and Potawatomi Nations. Our programming is made possible by the Arts Work Fund, Walter Foundation, MacArthur Fund for Arts and Culture at the Richard H. Driehaus Foundation, Paul M. Angel Family Foundation, Gaylord and Dorothy Donnelly Foundation, Illinois Arts Council Agency, the Department of Cultural Affairs and Special Events, Innovation 80, the Lupo Family, Eric Rothstein and Gina Wamek, Athene Karras and Thomas Applegate, James Lupo, Jessica Wetmore, Hannah and George Stowe, and many generous individuals like you. I'm Max Spitz, and this... This is the Second Second Story Podcast.